welcome to Refuge, a South Shores Church podcast. My name is Christian Davis. Um, I'm the digital media coordinator at South Shores Church. I won't say this every week, but I figured as we get started, this will kind of help people uh, recognize the voice and the name, whether or not you've actually seen my face on Sundays. I'm the guy with the camera and the lanyard usually. Uh, come say hi. This week, we have Pastor Ty. Uh, this week, we dive into what Pastor Ty does uh, as he gets his messages together and what that looks like. And he goes into a little bit of him and Derek's process when they choose the book that they're going into for the next series and uh, what they want to focus on and highlight for the congregation that makes it uh, applicable for their lives, our lives. Uh, so without further ado, here's this week's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to episode two. Uh, this week, we have Pastor Ty. Hello, everybody. There we go. <laughs> um, so this week's message was uh, following Pastor Eric's and finishing out chapter one of First Corinthians. Uh, now, before we dive into that, um, I just wanted to go over with everybody, what does your sermon preparation look like? What do you, what's the, what's the very, very first thing you do when you know you have to preach that week? Well, we do three or four major series a year. And a few years ago, I asked who would like to help do some of the planning for a sermon series. And uh, about six or eight staff people raised their hands. And we said, here's the passage we're going to be looking at. And we asked everybody's input. That's gotten refined through the years. Um, Derek Zellner is one of our top, because I'll come to him and say, what if we do a series about this? And he'll say, that's a good idea. How about we do one about this? And uh, then I say, I like your idea better than my idea. Let's take it and run. And so we're convinced that the Bible is God's word. It's our guide for our faith and practice. And so we're going to base every sermon, every talk on a portion of scripture. So we're currently, we like to take a book and then chop it into pieces and uh, look at a bit of a piece at a time and kind of work through it in uh, six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, uh, take a little break for something like Easter. And uh, in the one we're in, it'll go uh, with a break for Easter. It'll go to the end of June. And uh, so we're asking the question, what is the author, Paul, trying to say in God's word to the church in Corinth? So we're a church that's a lot like Corinth, and we believe that this is God's word speaking to them, and it's also God's word speaking to us in our day. And then we look, and so this particular passage was half of the chapter one, and so Eric got it started and kind of laid some of the background, and then I picked up from it from there. Then as far as personal preparation, I'm going to start with the text, and um, I set up a whole... Uh, in my computer, I set up a whole file just for this. And uh, so all of the sermons that I'm going to be doing are all in the same file. And I'm putting scriptures in there and then any of my own reading. If something fits in with one of those topics, I'm going to be making a little note or adding it in there. And then you get around to um, Monday is generally a large uh, focus on sermon preparation because Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, the five preaching pastors from our church meet and we debrief what did last week look like like 
and we preview what's the sermon going to look like for next week. And we expect a person who's preaching to come in with an outline and some of the key points and maybe even some of the illustrations. And then everybody kind of jumps in. And if they've done some preparation or it triggers something in the conversation, then they all add that in. And uh, then the person is left with all of the pieces to take those and to continue preparing during the week. And if people have great ideas, they will uh, email those or bring those in. And so those can be added in. So then I'm trying to spend some time on Tuesday afternoon with sermon prep, then Wednesday morning uh, time with sermon prep. And of course, there's always other things that are pressuring the week. Sure. But by Thursday uh, afternoon, I need to have a working outline that I can email uh, to Cody and the rest of the team here who are going to put together the slides that will go up on the screens and any pictures that we're going to use alongside of it or if there's any little uh, video clips that we want included and all of that is supposed to come together on Thursday. Then on Friday it's usually kind of quiet but if on Saturday I'm not feeling like I've really fully prepared I might come over because it's some Saturday mornings it's quiet uh, in the offices and I can get ready and uh, then uh, Sunday morning I'm generally up around four o'clock and it's quiet at my house at that time too and I work from four to, to six or six thirty and then somebody comes to pick me up so I can save a spot in the parking lot and then we're here and uh, we have a prayer time with all the staff at 7 45 and then the first service is at eight and then the next one is at 9 30 and the next one is at 11 and of course the contemporary service is clicking into the sermon that's happening at the 9 30 hour sure how would you say um so you, you have to do your message three times. Get to. Get to, right. Um, what would you say is the hardest part about that? But also, what would you say, do you, do you, do you change anything from service to, to service? Or do you keep everything pretty tight? So I try to keep things pretty tight. Uh, we've seen things migrate over the last few years. Um, we have five preachers. And uh, the oldest one, Ron, uh, Klein mm-hmm. never looks at a note and he will preach three sermons and they're identical. It's like he pushed a tape and he shared the same. I've heard it three times in a row and thought, wow, those all sound identical. Yeah. Um, I still work from paper because mm-hmm. I don't need any technical difficulties that I can't manage. Sure. The other three are all on an iPad or some kind of electronic where they're uh, moving uh, something on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer just to stick with the paper because there's fewer things that can break or go wrong. I can underline, I can circle things and um, make the print large enough for me. And I want to be familiar enough that I wish I could be like Ron. Um, So uh, the three services are like three children. Anybody that has three kids, you know, they're all your kids and they're similar in some ways, but every one of them is different. So our first congregation is uh, generally smaller and it's early in the morning. It's uh, 80 to 100 people generally. And uh, then uh, the next congregation is uh, also traditional worship. So it's uh, mostly an older congregation, but there's usually 300 some people there. Of course, uh, then you need to be aware that the younger congregation is is uh, tapping in from the uh, ocean room when they get to the sermon. And then the 11 o'clock is the contemporary with drums and guitar, and it's younger. So they're, they're all different. I don't make very many changes, but occasionally one of the pastors will come up and say, now here's a change you might want 
want to think about and uh, uh, to make some changes that way. There's other times that you just go, that illustration isn't going to work with this crowd mm -hmm. where it would work uh, with, with this one. So gotcha. make a few changes that way. But mostly it's, it stays the same. Gotcha. Is there one thing you'd want people to keep in mind before they listen? Uh, maybe context about Corinth or... Well, the underlying problem in the church in Corinth, there were people from all over the map, but the underlying problem was pride. Everybody was pretty proud of themselves. Right. And uh, so pride caused dissension, it caused strife, it caused selfishness, and uh, that was one of the problems. And he's saying, if you're going to walk with Christ, then you need to realize Christ gave you a gift. He gave you forgiveness. He paid for your sin with his own uh, death on the cross. And uh, you need to come to him humbly, ask for his forgiveness. And he sees you as a precious child and he invites you into his family and you grow in that and you do things for the Lord out of gratitude for his saving your soul and to have a love relationship going with him. So it's, it's not... Uh, it's not focused like most of the world of saying, boy, I'm just the center of the universe and I'm the most important thing going. It's to focus your life on Christ. What would Jesus think? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? And how do we be like that? Thank you, Pastor Ty, for that context. Here's the message from January 9th. Well, I'm looking forward to this series. There's a lot of good stuff in here. We're going to have some uh, great conversations over topics that Paul brought up. I want to do a quick small survey. You're home by yourself. You get to pick a movie. You can go to any place you want to, to watch one. What are you going to choose? Who here would say, well, I would choose a mystery or a documentary, something that would really, really challenge my brain to figure it out. How many say my first choice would be a romance story that warms the cockles of my heart? How many say, well, really, the thing I would choose first is a big power, you know, fists, knives, guns, bombs, you know, something that blows up things without any conversation or just kind of obliterates things and start over. Yeah, you might be our next group of terrorists. <laughs> So at home, did you take? Did you do the? Better send me your, your, you know, text or email or something. Let me know kind of what you found at your house, because uh, just trying to figure this out. Do you respond first with your head or with your heart? Uh, is it your pride, your power that uh, that that gets uh, first actively engaged? You know, what part of you got saved first? Was it your head? Was it your heart? <laughs> Was it your your pride? See, the big idea here today is Jesus Christ is the, is the wisdom and the power of God. And he demonstrated that. And we're in this new series called Messy Church. And it's written by Paul, who was born in Tarsus about uh, just a few years after Jesus, maybe five years uh, behind Jesus. And, but then he was educated in Jerusalem. So... He was at the best rabbi school there with a professor named Gamaliel, and he has a sharp mind and a firm grasp on the scriptures, and his head is in the game, and he's living in Jerusalem when they start to hear about this phenom from Galilee named Jesus, who... Um, could do miracles, and uh, uh, he comes. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on this huge wave of popularity, and here he's performed all of these miracles, or what would look like magic, where he can uh, heal the blind and make blind people see. He could uh, feed uh, uh, thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. He turned a whole uh, at a wedding, turned water into wine. I mean, even several times he raised people from the dead, and so a lot of the common uneducated masses would come to Jerusalem for a feast and they would be whispering that Jesus, you know, he might be the Messiah. He might be the promised Savior. Now, this is a problem for the Jewish leaders and uh, for those in power because it could upset the balance of power that they've worked out with their Roman overlords. And the Jewish leaders saw Jesus as a threat. 
And they were successful in getting him put to death by crucifixion, which is a crude, humbling, horrific way to die. They don't, they're not in a hurry. They're trying to make you suffer as long as possible until you die by crucifixion. Now, who here is wearing a, a cross necklace today? Yeah. So what was at one time the symbol of the most humiliating death has become a symbol that says, I love Jesus. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you wear a wedding ring, it declares, I'm committed to somebody. A, a cross, I think, is intended to do the same. But what do you think when you see somebody wearing a cross and then their behavior is totally contrary to the life and teachings of Jesus? They're living in the way of the world, but they're wanting the benefits of the way of Christ. And they're going to try to do both, but it's impossible. You can't. You can either choose the way of the world or you could choose the way of Christ, but you cannot do both at the same time. And when a convict was condemned to be put to death by crucifixion, the criminal would be stripped naked and then beaten severely in public. It was different than our system where we do all this in private. Uh, um, they would be forced to carry their cross a distance with a sign hanging around their neck stating their crime. Then they would be crucified in a public place so that lots of people could could see their shaming and also learn and have underlined crime does not pay and then the person would hang on the cross until they died Jesus died on a cross just like that one day just like the lowest of the low it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame because he's looking past it to the relationship that he's going to be able to break open between you and God. Because he loves you. He wants there to be a way for you to get to God. And that's the only way was a blood sacrifice. So when Jesus died, Paul and the rest of the scholarly, powerful people in Jerusalem thought their problem had been solved. This Messiah wannabe has died. He's been eliminated. But three days go by and he didn't stay dead. Jesus came back from the uh, uh, back alive. The Lord is risen. Oh, I know it's not Easter, but you missed your... <laughs> You missed your line. Let's try that again. Ready? The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. I mean, this has never happened before that a dead person has brought himself back to life after he died. That is only done by the power of God. That is not a human power that anybody has ever possessed. Now, on a much deeper level, what was really happening was that God had created the world. He had given people free choice. And then God, is a, who is offended by sin, saw that people were choosing sin which separated them from God. And unless there was a blood sacrifice to atone for sin, there would be no way to be back into proper communication with God. So God sent his own son, Jesus, into the world to die on the cross, to pay with his own blood, with his own life for your sin and mine. And Jesus loves you that much that he said, yes, he would do that. And he paid the full price and he died. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. I mean, Jesus is alive forevermore. Paul didn't understand this at that time. The devil didn't understand that at the time, or he would never have been working so hard to get Jesus crucified if he'd realized that fulfills God's plan. 
So Paul saw these believers in the way of Jesus as a threat to his Jewish faith. And he actually uh, actively opposed them and harassed them and arrested them, even killed people who believed in Jesus. And then one day this traumatic miracle happened. God knocked him to the ground with a blinding light and Jesus himself spoke to Paul in that situation and took charge of Paul's life. And Paul was transformed from being a rabbi scholar actively persecuting Christians to one of the foremost Christian leaders um, and preachers and ministers and authors. And he began planting churches, going into a town and uh, planting a church. And that's what he did in Corinth, which is a city about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem maybe a little more. And it was large and boisterous and cosmopolitan. It was a seaport. And uh, it was made up of Romans and Greeks and Jews and slaves, lots of slaves. And uh, from the world over, it would have been a lot like Los Angeles or Long Beach or San Diego with people arriving and departing and uh, interacting and colliding with each other uh, from all different cultures. It was a time when people prized ideas and uh, great orations by public speakers and there were lots of gods gods to be worshipped and celebrated and anything you wanted to have be your god was fine it was just fine for you so Paul started by taking the message of Jesus to the marketplace to the masses and he proclaimed that Jesus of Nazareth was God who had come in human flesh and died on the cross to pay for sin your sin and to make a way for people to get right with God. And he did it because he loves you, because Jesus is God, and he is the only way to get right with God. Now, that was a sticking point for a lot of people, that Christianity, among all the gods, said our God is the only one who can save. He's the only one who can forgive sin. He's the only one who can guarantee you heaven. He is the only way. You know, I recently received some medical attention, and so I'm waiting my turn in line. <laughs> You're going to do that too. And I'm watching the nurse who's providing the care, and she didn't seem stressed. She seemed joyful. She was working hard. She was pleasant. She was de surprisingly delightful. And uh, she's giving everybody expert care and encouraging word. And when she gets to me, uh, hearing her accent, I think she, I guess, I asked her, are you from Holland? And she said, no, I'm from Sweden. And so in our conversation, I want to work around how do we talk about Jesus? This is somebody I, I don't see at church. And so do they know the Lord? And, and so I mentioned, well, to get to your work, you have to drive right past where I work at South Shores Church. I'm the pastor there. And her response really surprised me. She said, you know, in Sweden, well, we have churches, but nobody goes. She said, nobody believes in God either. We just try to be nice to each other. And then she said, so what do you do as the pastor? Do you just wake up Sunday morning and start thinking about what am I going to talk about today? <laughs> and, and I kind of laughed too, thinking of all the hard work that goes into making all the, the, the graphics and the stuff that you see that other people do a lot of diligent work. And I said, no, 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 I'm not that interesting. And, and people aren't that interested in my thoughts. And in fact, you see, we believe that Jesus who was a human being was actually God in the flesh and he died to pay for human sins so that people could be right with God and we believe that the Bible is God's inspired word and so when people come to church they want to hear a word from God they don't want to hear from me so every time we get together we are going to be opening the Bible to say God what are you trying to tell us from your word and it was like I was speaking a different language. She said, oh, well, maybe I should talk to my teenage girls about coming and learning some good music. <laughs> now, uh, have you ever been around somebody who uh, 
has just this total blank where you have so, you know what I'm saying? It's like they've taken one of your favorite songs and all of a sudden they've just blanked out the middle part of it. I mean, think about all the things you know about the Bible or about God or about Jesus or about the disciples or the miracles or the things that you've read in God's word. And there was none of that. She knew nothing about, about God. And I mean, it just grieves your heart. And... So the people in Corinth are that way. They hear the message of Jesus and his love, and they kind of are thinking, maybe we can add him. For some of them, they say, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I can see the wisdom in that. And there's other people that are saying, well, that's true love, that he would give his life for me. It touches me in my heart, my broken, filthy, wicked heart. And that's for me. And so Paul started a church with those kind of people, the Jews and the Romans and the Greeks and the slaves and the rich and the poor of like people who have responded in faith. And they all come together in church like we do here. And they all bring their own backgrounds and their beliefs and their baggage. Well, we kind of do too. I mean, really, this church might be us. And because it was kind of messy. They come together to worship God, but then they're bringing all this other stuff with them. And they don't realize, I have to make a choice. I, have to, I can live like the world or I can live like Christ, but I can't do both at the same time. And some of them are dealing with pride or with prejudice. And they've w- come walking into the church uh, by, after walking the way of the world. And uh, they're trying to do both. But, uh, I mean, it really does look like the church in a America, this one that Paul is writing to here in Corinth. There's other people who hear the message of Christ from Paul and they scoffed. Jesus died as a revolutionary on a cross in Jerusalem, killed both by the Romans and the Jews. He probably had it coming. And you say his death on that cross made a way for me to be right with God. That is ridiculous. That is foolishness. What a crazy idea. Get that idiot Paul out of here. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us are being saved. It's the power of God. The word folly is foolishness. In fact, the NIV has foolishness in that spot. When the word of God is, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. When some people learn that you are a Christ follower, they think you are a fool. There's a mother that her son came to visit her from back east. And so he was here at church a couple weeks with her and I greeted him. We got talking and, we ended, and he ended up saying, let's go to breakfast. So we go to breakfast and he asked me over in the conversation. He says, so how much of the Bible do you really believe? <laughs> he says, I mean, really? I said, well, all of it. We believe that this is a word from God. It is our guide for faith and our practice. And he goes, you can't be serious. You've got to be kidding. It's such an old book. And there's so many things. That it, and it sounds so simple minded just to say I'm going to accept the whole Bible as God's word and he tried to be gracious I think on account of his mother after that but you could tell that he had decided I wasn't very intelligent and I shouldn't be taken seriously and Christians uh, seriously no one just me Christians are being treated that way more and more people are Christians are finding that their beliefs are discounted and rejected and ridiculed and attacked The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. See, claiming Jesus as as God and that his atoning sacrifice on the cross, cross is your salvation might cost you something in our day and age. You might be thought of as ridiculous or as foolish. Look how Paul said it. The word of the cross is 
folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God says, where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, God is in charge whether it's, he's recognized or not. His ways are higher than our ways, the Bible says, and his, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You will never just naturally by yourself think God's thoughts. It won't come to you. He is just on a different level. And so you have here the way of Christ and you have the way of the world. The way of Christ is you win by losing. You win by surrender. Jesus surrendered himself to leave heaven to come to earth because it was God's plan. He surrendered his body to death on the cross to die for your sin and mine. So he won, cost him his life. This plan wasn't understood by the people in charge or the devil. Jesus won by losing. The way of the world is, think of yourself as the center of the universe. What do I like? What do I want? How do I win by outsmarting other people or use power or domination or intimidation? And part of this messiness of the church in Corinth is people of the world who come into the church, but they haven't realized you have to do a process we call sanctification, but it's a major rethink. It's a reboot, like Pastor Eric said, to begin to say, I want to think the thoughts of Christ. Instead of me being in charge in my life, Christ is going to be in charge. Instead of saying, what do I want? I say, what does Christ think? What are Christ's thoughts? What is Christ's guidance? How do I my, line my life up with Christ at the center of it instead of me at the center of it? And in fact, some of these people, so they come into the church, they look like the world, they talk like the world, they interact like the world, and so they've got pride and comparison and ambition and selfish desire and, and wanting to do things their own way. They're willing to fight about it. In fact, one of the things they were fighting about is different preachers and which ones were better. Now, you get, have, get to have a team of five preachers here, and so I'm sure there's bound to be some comparison. And what's kind of cool with the three young tall guys is they all look so handsome and alike and that when one preaches, they all three get compliments. It's, it's kind of nice. But um, the, um, I hadn't been here very long as pastor, and a lady comes in the door, and we, we'd had this conversation over six months, several times. And she said, oh, this morning before I came to church, I got to hear D. James Kennedy from Coral Ridge in Florida preach. He was awesome. <laughs> Hope you can do as well. We probably had that conversation 10 times or more. And finally, I just couldn't help it. I said, dear, do you know, I actually know Dr. D. James Kennedy. You do? Well, yeah, he comes here on vacation in July. He sits right about there. Would you like to go to dinner with him next time he's here? <gasps> could you arrange that? I said, I sure could. We went to the chart house. I put her right across the table from him. We're, we're walking out after lunch. She goes, oh, that was so wonderful. I said, you owe me. <laughs> <laughs> Deja vu a few years later A guy walks in and he goes Oh, he says This morning on TV Dr. Charles Stanley Hit the ball out of the park He is just the best Hope you can do as well 
So he said that a few times, and I was, went to a conference, and wouldn't you know, D. James, or Dr. Charles Stanley was one of the speakers on the program, and in the printed program, they had his picture. So I went, and I sat down right next to him just before he got up to, to, to preach, and said, and said Dr. Yeah, Dr. Stanley, there's a guy in my church who thinks you walk on water. I need your signature on this picture. Sign my picture for me. I put it in a frame. I gave it to the guy right here in church. Who isn't Dr. Charles Stanley? Wonderful. You know what? We don't need to. This isn't. That's the way of the world. Paul even said, my preaching isn't all that great. I just preached to you Christ and him crucified. Because the cross is foolishness only to those who are perishing. To those who understand, it's the power of God. And it begins you in this, when you take the way of Christ and you begin to follow him, it's the sanctification, it's this renewing of your mind and your whole new way of thinking and of putting Christ at first. I mean, it's more challenging than learning a foreign language. To say, instead of thinking about what do I want, what about me, to say, what about Jesus Christ? What does he want in my life? And the answer is yes in advance. We like to be in charge. And fortunately, we serve a God who never gives up. Because bringing that into his church makes it a, a messy church. You know, people can be pretty proud of their wisdom and use it as a weapon. Paul said in verse 22, Jews demand signs. That's miracles. Touches your heart. Greeks seek wisdom. That touches your mind. We preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to the Jews. He's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters, not many of you are wise according to this world's standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. Look at you. Jesus called you. If you've heard his name, you've heard his word, he's calling you. Do you know why he called you and not everybody else? It's not because you're the smartest. It's not because you're the richest. It's not because you're the prettiest. It's not because you're the fastest. It's not because you're the strongest. You know why? Because, just because, because he loves you and he chose you. My dad used to have a whistle. I can't do it, but it was loud and shrill. You could hear it over the whole neighborhood. And what that meant when you're out playing, all of a sudden you hear this whistle is drop everything you're doing, stand up, run home as fast as you can. <laughs> and it meant that to four people. Everybody in the neighborhood could hear it. But that whistle was a calling for four people. Get home. Get home. It didn't mean the same thing to anybody else, but it did to us. And you have heard the call of Christ even today because you have heard his word. He's calling. He's calling you. And you've got to ask yourself, if God has called me, he has chosen me, he's invited me to be his child, he's adopted me into his family. Why? Because it pleases God. Then what am I doing? What am I doing with my call? God has called me to be a, fill in the blank, a student, an attorney, a homemaker, a secretary, a clerk, a whatever, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Then God, how do I fulfill my calling to your glory? And where are we going? Well, the answer is heaven. God's home in glory for eternity. See, it's not really about you. 
I mean, look at God's response to pride, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly. He's talking about us, by the way, the, the, right? The foolish, the weak. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even what things that are not, to bring things, nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Human boasting in God's presence is really offensive to God, where we tell God just how wonderful we are. I had at least one guy used to come out of church every week. I am so glad you preached that today, Pastor. There are people who really need to hear that. It's not a problem in my life, but there are other people that really need, must be struggling with. I mean, I thought he had written the book on humility and how I achieved it, you know? And oh, it's over and over in the Bible. James 4 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So Paul says, if you want to boast about something, boast about Christ and what he did on the cross for you and how he transformed you and how if you give him your heart, he'll begin to move in and he'll begin to move the furniture around and some of it will get discarded. He'll get the place cleaned out and he will, he will be in charge. It's the way of Christ. Do you think church like ours would have any problems with or challenges or threat that maybe somebody would bring the way of the world into the church and that the wisdom of the age could creep into the thinking of us who are believers? Well, it happened in Corinth. You know, you have the way of Christ, you have the way of the world. The way of Christ says the Bible is our authority for our faith and practice. It guides us in all truth. The way the world says, I'll decide for myself what is truth. For me, my truth. The way of Christ says, God created people as male and female. And the way the world says, you evolved from nothing. And you can decide for yourself if you're male or if you're female or something else. The way of Christ says that the gift of sex is to be cherished and preserved for one man and one woman who are committed to each other in marriage till death do us part. And the way of the world says, well, if it feels good between consenting people and nobody's going to get hurt, uh, go ahead and do what you want. The way of Christ says, you and everything you own belong to Christ. And you are the manager. You are not the owner. And God says, give away a tithe of what you earn back to God into his storehouse. And the way the world says, my money is mine. I'll, I earned it. I'll spend it how I want. I'll invest it as I see fit. I'll give it where I want to give it. And thank you very much. You're getting a little too personal. The way the world says, no pleasure should be denied. You deserve whatever you want. You don't have to work for it or earn it anymore. No penalties, no consequence. And the way of Christ says, God has created you. God has called you. God has empowered you to do his will. God has forgiven you. God puts his spirit in your heart and God never gives up on you. And losing your life in Christ is the only sure way to find it forever. Verse 30, he says, because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast 
in the Lord. See, we're in this process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Christ, which means you come to a point where you say, if I'm going to keep going up with Christ, I have to give up certain things, give up certain habits, give up certain thoughts, give up ways of relating with people so that I can be more like Christ and think Christ's thoughts and please Christ with my life. The way of Christ leads us through a lot of hardship now, but then to our eternal home in heaven in the presence of our Savior. The way of the world does not lead to heaven. And at the end of time, it'll be abundantly clear, even though now in the thick of things, the way of the world is the most popular way. And you and I have a choice either to follow Christ and, and uh, ourselves and lead our families that direction or to go the way of the world. There's this book called Family Discipleship. I'm recommending it to you. That's the cover. Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin wrote it. And they're talking to, to parents. And basically, they say, parents, you've got to realize that if you introduce your, your child to Christ, it will not make them popular at school or in their world with their friends. Here's what they said. Raising kids who follow Christ means you are preparing a generation ready to be comfortable being different and even looked down upon by the culture that thinks they know better. Your child's faith will not impress the world. You are raising kids who will hopefully pursue generosity over comfort, righteousness over acceptance, and selflessness over self-esteem for the sake of Christ. So you have a choice to make. You have to say, is Christ really who he says he is? Then I'll follow him with all my, my life, give him my whole heart, give him my family. The Jews looked for miracles. It touched their heart. The Greeks were looking for wisdom. It would challenge their brain. It starts with a step of humility and repentance from sin. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough to wear a cross around your neck or to have one in your home or office. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To us, I believe it's a power of God. So coming out of this message, uh, what would you say, Pastor Ty, is... Maybe like if you had to boil it all down to one one little applicational moment for everybody who's listening, uh, what would be that one thing that we could take day to day? To live your life for Jesus Christ is a whole lot more satisfying than living for yourself. Gotcha. And to take your time to focus to say, Jesus, what would you like me to do today? Or how do I speak for you today? How do I think your thoughts today rather than my own? And uh, lift Jesus up with your whole life. In the, uh, in the stories that I told, the, the guy who came to see his mom still comes to church once in a while. I still have a continuing relationship with him, and I want to open uh, more conversations with him. In the nurse that I saw uh, at the hospital, <laughs> she called me Popeye when she saw my arms and she's <laughs> trying to put in a needle. She said, you look like Popeye. <laughs> I'm still praying for her. I wish she would show up with her kids and uh, give them a chance to hear about Jesus. For everybody who's listening, as we go on in this series as well, um, as we go into Second Corinth- uh, First Corinthians chapter 2 and further, I think uh, one of the main themes which we're seeing here is Paul pointing us to letting Jesus have control, um, letting him 
direct us and not getting distracted by the difference in preachers, the different difference in settings, the different in little fancy things. Um, and to really take a moment to slow down and listen for the, for the moments in the silence when God will direct us where he wants us. That's it for this week. And we won't see you next week, but you'll hear us next week. Thank you.